This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Live during Alumni Weekend on the historic campus of the University of Pennsylvania, this is a special reunion radio edition of Knowledge at Wharton. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Welcome back. Second hour of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. As you just heard, our reunion radio special on a Saturday. More great alums coming into the studio today as all of the festivities really kicking into gear here on the University of Pennsylvania campus with graduation and reunions and the like uh, here on a beautiful, what has turned out to be a beautiful spring weekend here in the city of Philadelphia. Hollywood, like many other business sectors, is adjusting to newer technologies. We see it in many of the films and TV shows that we watch, but it's also how we watch them that is changing with tech as well. For a company like Warner Brothers, with more than 90 years of content and intellectual property, having a thriving technology division is crucial for future success, but also preserving the history of the company. Adam Sloan is Vice President of Production Systems for Warner Brothers Technology. His division is involved in the planning of technical infrastructure and software applications used by production crews working on WB projects around the world. And this has been a part of the success of WB changing from an analog to a digital company. Adam is also a 1994 Wharton MBA grad and on campus now, if I do the math, for your 25th reunion. Great to have you here on campus. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. It it has to be nice getting back. How often do you get back, and what's the experience been like for you? This is actually my first time back in 25 years. So when I first got here, I was kind of a little bit lost, but within an hour or two, it all came back. All the same buildings, the same people, the same feelings, but it's definitely much nicer, more gentrified in the neighborhoods around campus. You know, yeah. I used to live over at 42nd and Baltimore, which was kind of a sketchy, dangerous area yeah. with a lot of weird people hanging out on the street yeah. and uh, liquor stores. And now it's all, you know, cafes and lattes and uh, <laughs> beautiful, you know. But this building, Huntsman Hall, probably wasn't here when this you were This didn't here. exist, I think. Was this a bookstore or something? I don't even know back then. Yeah. But but it was not here when you were here. So this is a this is a great experience this for you. This corner is an empty spot in my memory that I have to fill with something different, yeah. <laughs> so explain, your, if you can, for the listeners, your work at, at Warner Brothers with yeah. the technology side and the importance of it. Because obviously, I, I think... The the consumer sees the finished project, the TV show, the the film, whatever it might be. Right. But they don't understand the technical side behind it that is, is an increasingly important area to make sure that these productions are, are coming off properly. Yeah. And also, you know, one thing to understand is that when you're actually making a movie or you're making a TV show, right, you're starting with nothing. Not one person that works on that movie existed or was an employee before it started. Not one piece of technology, not one piece of infrastructure, no set, uh, you know, nothing was there, right? And so you start to make a movie and you greenlight it or even before you greenlight the uh, movie and you're actually ramping up thousands of people. You're creating a company. You are ramping up all of the technical infrastructure. You're uh, deciding how you're going to physically make the uh, movie. You're hiring all your visual effects vendors, your post-production vendor, all of your other vendors that uh, serve you. You're making a plan and and a schedule, but 
you're actually ramping all that up extremely rapidly. A movie can be a $200 million enterprise, right? Yeah. And so you're ramping all that up. You quickly make a movie. It's very chaotic. And then when, when it's over, you tear the whole thing down like it never existed. So the challenge from, <laughs> you know, the challenge from a technology perspective, right, is that you can't have any, you know, nothing is in place before you start, right? right? So we have to be able to very quickly deploy things on set, you know, so we use a lot of cloud-based applications. Right. Um, we actually do a lot of things where we rely on the crew to actually be our hands on the ground, where yeah. we will ship them servers, we'll ship them, you know, switches, network devices, you know, et cetera. And then we, over the phone, will help get it set up. The other thing is that because we're chasing tax incentives, right, we end up making yeah. movies That's all right. over the world, right? right? We're making movies in Estonia and Malaysia and India and, uh, you know, Australia. But we don't even know often until a, a couple days, if not a couple weeks before we shoot, where we're going to actually be because they're still playing the trade-offs, you know, between multiple locations. So It is interesting how yeah. you noted that, that truly it is the building of a company. Every time you do a, a show, yeah. it is truly like a startup. Yeah, it's like a startup, and you have to move rapidly, right, because... You are, you know, you are, you are talking with the filmmakers. You're looking at the workflow, you know, of how all the pieces are going to come together, the visual effects and the costume and the hair and the make, how all of that's going to assemble. You're sort of getting into their head right. and then figuring out how can I drop the technology in there to um, enable their vision of the movie. Because right. every movie is different. Every movie is kind of a snowflake, right? And we as a studio cannot dictate how Chris Nolan or Clint Eastwood or Steven Spielberg makes a movie, right? right. They're going to tell us how to do it. We have to fit the technology around them. So it's like a startup, but it's like a startup that you don't control. But are there uh, is there an element to where the systems are similar to obviously what you're using production to production? Obviously, it's it's being tweaked, as you said, because of the vision uh, of the individual running the production. Yeah, so we try. I mean, over the last three or four years, I've introduced the concept of uh, the App Store, right, where we have a bunch of pre-vetted applications that right. each do different, you know, parts. You know, something that 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 does casting, something that you know that 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 handles continuity with costumes. But we have pre-vetted a whole bunch of applications, functionally, legally, from a information security and content protection perspective, and right. so all of those are ready to go. And then we try to steer the filmmakers to using one of those. But right. I say steer because. We cannot make them use one of those standards, right. you know. Um, and so there is a push and pull. There's building trust. Why, you know? why is that specifically? Because the relationship uh, with the director, producer, they're not actually a physical employee of the studio. Yeah. They're working on a, on a relationship. They're not an employee of the studio, right? Their power is based on what they've done before, what they bring to the uh, movie, their relationships, right, in, in uh, the industry. And so... The more powerful the filmmaker, the more experienced the director, right, the more power that they have to do things exactly like they want. Right. You know, there's some, there's some filmmakers like Clint Eastwood that literally go make an entire movie on their own, don't show the studio where they are on the budget, the schedule, don't let them watch <laughs> dailies every day, and just let us know when they're done. And so trying to even convince them to even have a conversation with you, you know, and there's no point of escalation. You know, if you're, sure. in a, if you're in a normal corporate environment and you want to make something happen, you figure out who do I escalate that to, right? 
I go to you know I go to someone who's higher than them. I go to the, the CEO. I yeah. go to the head of finance, whatever it is, and try to convince them to make somebody else do something in a way that's going to be beneficial. But we can't do that. Does that relationship at times ease? Over a period of time, when you've worked with that individual three or four different projects, yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, I mean, once you've gotten through one project with them, not only have you built the trust where you're now their trusted, you know, advisor, and they're mm-hmm. going to come to you, you know, for a lot of stuff. But now they've survived a movie using the technology, using the workflow in the way that you wanted to, and so they know they can do it again. Yeah. And they are very risk averse because making a movie is so chaotic and so stressful that if something works, they want to use it again. And in fact, a lot of the resistance that we get from filmmakers is because they're making movies with multiple studios, right? With, right. with, with multiple partners. And so they may have made their last movie with Paramount or Universal, we used a different technology that worked. And here I am telling them, no, this is what we want you to do, even though you did it some other way and, and you know it worked. Right. We're right. joined here in studio by Adam Sloan, who is with uh, Warner Brothers Technology, Vice President of Production Systems. You're listening to Knowledge of Warden here on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio, powered by the Warden School. But as I mentioned at the top, with Warner Brothers and all of the different content that, that they have produced over the years, yeah, I, I would imagine the the... the protection and the saving of that content has to be a, a, a challenging task as well from the from the digital from the technology side well there's the there's the protection of content pre-release right you know I mean a 10-pole feature film probably has about a two-year life cycle from when you decide to do it until it when it goes in the uh, theater right? right an animated film which you know my group also oversees um, has about a three-and-a-half to four-year cycle, right? right? So that's a long period of time that you have to protect, um, you know, the characters, the storyline, you know, the whole content of, yeah. of the film. So, so actually, a good, a, a good reason that my group exists and a good part of uh, the emphasis of what we do is uh, security and content protection. So we make sure that everything is um, encrypted. We make sure that any, you know... We assume that the people working on the movie can't be trusted. I mean, we actually assume that. <laughs> so we're not just trying to keep somebody on the outside from hacking in and you know, you know, and stealing the next Aquaman. We're actually assuming that somebody on the movie, probably a lower level person who thinks it's cool, is going to take a screenshot of something and right. try to put it up on on, on the internet. Which, and we try to prevent that. Which, if memory serves me, was one of the concerns with the latest Star Wars film, uh, or not Star Wars. Um, with the latest Avengers film, yeah. that there was the potential of screenshots getting out a week before because they did the release in China first or right. Korea first, yeah. and then the release here in the United States was was a little bit later. That there was the concern of screenshots getting out. So again, you have to have that level of security to make sure that nothing gets out. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 somewhere like China, you have people sitting in a in a movie theater with an iPhone or a small camera, you know, and and actually capturing the. Um, you know, capturing the the movie and putting it out there. Um, but uh, but you know, for us, it, you know, it really happens more more of all of all the elements along the way, right? You've got visual effects, right, that are out at visual effects vendors all all yeah. over the world. A yeah. movie like Aquaman had forty or fifty visual effects vendors. That that's wow. a lot of that that's a lot of separate points of surface area right yeah. that you have to protect and does every single person that works at every single one of those vendors care enough about their job in the industry to not you know to not let something out it it is amazing because of the fact that in this digital culture we're in 
that all of this content and all of this communication is being used in a digital fashion and and it's it's become how the industry relies on getting its job done in the most effective in the most effective manner right now yeah right yeah and you know because so many films are released day and date m- meaning that they're released in every movie theater in every country of the world at the yeah. same time the marketing campaigns are so important right because right. they want to get they want to control the marketing message it's going to hit everywhere, and the word of mouth is all going to be created at the exact same time. And so that's what makes it even more important and puts even more pressure on making sure that nothing leaks to actually alter or control that sort of marketing spin you know, to create some word of mouth that m- may be different. You talked about the, the, the buildup to, to doing a film. Is it easier to do a TV show than it is a film because you may have a longer run, yeah. 22 episodes for a particular season in comparison to, to doing a two-hour film? So TV shows are less complicated, right, in terms of the visual effects, in terms of, of all the things that, that you're constructing to make the movie, right? They're not, you know, I, 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 I equate it to making a movie is like, is like building a Mars lander, a single-purpose you know, craft that's going to go to Mars and do one mission and nothing ever again, but you have years to make it, right? Yeah. A TV show is like making a car off an assembly line at General Motors, right? Yeah. Where you have to move fast. It's not as complicated, but in, but in television, everything is very quick. You, know, you go from from prepping to shooting to releasing on air, usually within a couple of days, right? Where, yeah. And if you're doing a TV show like, like uh, The Ellen Show, you know, w- which is one of our shows, it's all happening real time. Now, th- now you bring in the distinction there of the difference between something that is, is a produced product project right. in comparison to something that is a live project. Right, 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 yeah. But even, but even in scripted television, right, I mean... You have one episode every week is usually shot, you know, yeah. and they typically will, you know, rehearse on Monday, Tuesday, shoot on Wednesday, maybe catch some things that they missed on Thursday, and, and it goes out on Friday. So everything is about huh. speed. Every, everything is about how quickly can you turn stuff around, how quickly can you move the media through the pipeline to get from what you've captured on camera yeah. to putting in all of the effects and changes and everything to get it, you know, to getting it out there. And it's getting even more challenging now with like Netflix, right? Because yeah. you know, Netflix is yep. changing the uh, rules, right? So with Netflix, they're actually shooting eight, ten, twelve episodes. All at once. Yeah, and wh- I wanted to touch on streaming anyway because it's obviously it is the run right now. We are seeing more and more companies wanting to add streaming services to their operations. Yeah. What about that that side of it for WB? Yeah. So we at Warner Brothers. I mean, we have a digital production division. So we have entities like uh, Machinima, Stage Thirteen. We just recently acquired um, Otter Media, which includes Rooster Teeth. And all of that is sort of at the far end of the spectrum, you know, at the opposite end of the spectrum from making feature films, right? That's right. super low budget digital content often isn't even post-produced, meaning that they just shoot something in, you know, in a, in a room. Basically and they, live. It's, it's either live or they put it out like a half hour later or yeah. maybe an hour later, right? And some of it is like somebody playing an arcade game with somebody else watching them play the game. Um, 
Machinima actually does things where they set up a virtual reality room. They pick a popular VR game. They have two people playing the game in this circular room about like this one here that's a green screen all the way, way, way around. And they have audiences watching people playing a VR game with cameras on their head and their racket and all yeah. of their uh, devices. So it's a whole different type of production. How challenging are some of these newer pieces Obviously, there's a market for them, but how challenging is it when you're talking about what has been the traditional infrastructure of Hollywood and of the TV industry over, you know, over decades? I mean, I think part of the challenge, at least that I see, is that a lot of, you know, a, a lot of this digital content at this point doesn't doesn't really make money, right? So, right. So we know that's the future. We know as Warner Brothers, we need to be in that. But um, you know, trying to trying to monetize a lot, you know, you know, a lot of that is challenging. Trying to figure out which of those things is actually going to stick, right. you know, and get an audience around it, and then how do you actually drop drop something in there to generate revenue? So it's like the feature film side is sort of the cash cow, right? We know everybody's going to watch feature films. Yeah. We know if we do them well, we have an audience, and they have downstream revenues in. You know, video games and theme park rides and consumer product toys and a whole bunch of other you know you know areas, but the growth is on the digital side, right? Yeah. So you've got your growth in an area that's higher risk but much lower revenue right now. You know, and and much harder to figure out what's going to make uh, money. Much of of what it sounds like you do is really built from existing strong relationships with vendors with. Uh, you know the the production company itself over over a period of time. Yeah, I mean the whole yeah the whole the whole industry is based on our relationships, right? And you know I've always said that if Albert Einstein walked into a movie studio with the smartest guy in the world, he actually wouldn't get anything done <laughs> because getting things done is is knowing enough people that you can pick up the phone and and call them. They'll take your call and they'll help you, right? Yeah. And it's within you know it's that way within the studio. It's that way amongst the filmmakers, you know. But is it an industry that as as we move forward, do you think will and a lot of companies and we talked about it earlier on this show yeah. about how AI is going to impact a variety of companies? And obviously, from a production standpoint, there's no question that that digital and is going to have a huge impact. But when you're talking about a lot of the structure of yeah. of Hollywood and the TV industry, it is still based on the personal relationship and probably will be for, for as long as, as there is a Hollywood. Yeah, in terms of the creative side, right? In terms of creatively developing a property, in terms of creatively having the vision and overseeing how a movie or a TV show is done, but where AI is starting to creep in is some of the downstream areas, for example, dubbing, right, translation, sure. um, uh, uh, remaking a, a uh, movie or remastering it right. in kind of a different format for cruise ships or for you know TV or for um, on the planes S and stuff. S S VOD. A lot of that stuff doesn't involve so that much of the creatives. Right. And so you can use AI to do image recognition. You can use you know AI to do translation, dubbing, etc. So, so that's more mechanical. So you don't have to bring in the uh, the person that specializes in Spanish or or Korean language to do the dubbing, to do the translation, when you can have AI do it. Yeah, or AI can do the first draft of it and get it 95% right. Right. But you have somebody in territory who realizes that a certain word in Spanish has a different meaning right. currently in that territory, you know, when they deal with it. 
We're joined in studio by Adam Sloan of uh, Warner Brothers Technology. You're listening to Knowledge of Warden here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. So then, how much will, do you think, technology and AI play a role in, in, in a lot of the structure of Hollywood and, and TV moving forward? I mean, techno- I mean tech, tech, technology in general has been playing a larger and larger role. You know, when I got there 18 years ago, the way we made movies hadn't changed in, you know, 70 years. Right. And in the last 18 years, the digital, you know, one piece after uh, um another has slowly turned um, um digital. But I think technology is finally starting to make inroads into actual physical production. Mm-hmm. So we're doing, for for um, example, you know, we do a lot of previs, you know, where you actually try to, before you shoot something, you try to create a preliminary kind of crude crude version of what that scene or shot is going to look like so right. that you can set it up. We're now starting to do pre uh, or, or what we call virtual production, right? right, where we actually use virtual reality to simulate the entire 3D set, landscape, characters, everything of a movie, mm-hmm. virtually set up all the cameras, virtually set up all the lighting, and then practice all the shots, practice how you're going to do the production so mm-hmm. that when you actually get into live physical production, you can cut about three-quarters of the uh, time out of production. So so that's changing where we're shortening the, the amount of time you're, you're physically producing. We right. have one, one movie that we're working on now where instead of having green screen backgrounds during production and then adding visual effects plates in post-production uh-huh. – we're actually bringing large, you know, uh, thirty foot, well, maybe twenty, thirty foot LED screens that are backlit huh. with LED lighting that is in sync with what's going on on those screens to actually use the LED screens as the live background while you're shooting. Wow! So you're actually shooting a guy running on I'm a motorcycle through the streets, right? Let's say of Tokyo fifty years from now, right? But the actual images of Tokyo in 3D are behind him on LED screens, and the motorcycle and the guy are being lit as if they're getting light reflected from that background. Right. And, and just having all of that in sync with no latency kind of real, <laughs> real time could actually allow you to do visual effects basically during production. It's amazing to see how uh, – and obviously what movies were 20, 30 years ago yeah. is, is night and day yeah. from what, what they are right now – and it it feels like that just as as many businesses are dealing with the the quick adaptive change of technology, Hollywood has to do that as well. And it's not only that, but they have to stay on top of the changes that are occurring moving forward ten years, fifteen years, twenty years down the line as well. Yeah, and and uh, the audience expects it, right? I mean, when 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 the audience sees the next. Superman, Batman, superhero movies, Wonder Woman 2, right? They expect it to be better than Wonder Woman 1. They expect it yeah. to be better, you know. And and the expectations, especially with all of the other studios also producing, you know, more and more bleeding-edge content, right. just keep on driving us to actually keep up with it, you know. Um, it's a great thing. Yeah. yeah. Tell us, uh, if you can, about your Wharton experience and, and what you remember of it and, and how it has benefited you throughout your career. You know, what I remember about Wharton, because I went to MIT for my undergraduate, right? And right. it was academically really r- rigorous. But what I remember about Wharton is that it, it exercised the other side of my brain, right? More of the EQ side, you know, the ability to work in, in groups with project teams, to deal with the dynamics 
of trying to collaborate on things, having to uh, participate in class, having to give presentations and speeches, and yeah. having to really make my you know interpersonal relationship you know skills of empathy right. Um, yeah. it, it just was a whole different you know, and, and coming from an from an an, 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 an engineering background, right. Yeah. It was a whole different paradigm, but I, but I, 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 I just really enjoyed that, you know, because it was different. I'm not going to ask you for any spoilers for the upcoming films <laughs> from the WB, so I'll leave that. I'll leave that alone. Enjoy your weekend here on campus, Adam. All right, nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice Thank to you. meet you as well. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.